Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As you listen today, you might be able to tell that we are worshiping outside to accommodate all those that aren't yet prepared to re-enter the sanctuary now that the weather is nice and extra sunny. Well, today we begin our summer mission series with the title, Show and Tell. Our emphasis over the next few weeks will be examining the church's marching orders or commissioning from our Lord to make disciples. However, before we dive into the Gospels, we need to begin back at the beginning and ground our foundation for missions in the design of God from creation. Thanks for joining us today as we look at what the scriptures teach about man being made in God's image. We're starting a new series today. Uh, Show and tell is the best way I can uh, simplify the calling, the mission of the church. We not only get to speak with our words the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, but you speak with your lives. Uh, your behavior, your character, your actions, they all are to and are designed by God to, fall, to flow in concert with the message of good news, the message of transformation. So much of this goes back to the question of who is in charge in our lives. Who's in charge? It's a great question, isn't it? If you were to ask a military man or woman that question, there's an easy answer. It's your commanding officer. And whatever the commanding officer tells you to do, that's what you do. You follow your orders. Well, that's the theme of this series that we're in. As we look sequentially week after week for what does it mean to show and tell, um, uh, we've designed this such that we will be looking into the Old and the New Testament to define our marching orders. Uh, We traditionally in church have a word for this. Uh, Just show of hands if you've heard it before. It's called the Great Commission. Have, Have we heard that? The Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 is where that's found, and so we will have that to be one of the verses that we look in depth on. But one of the things that you might not have known is that there are great commissions that come out of every single one of the Gospels. So we have a great commission that comes out of the Gospel of Mark, we have a great commission that comes from Luke, and we have a great commission that comes um, out of the book of John. Not only the Gospels, we also have a great commission that comes out of the book of Acts. And so that's what this series, uh, Show and Tell, is all about. It is, it is a chance for us once more to hear from our commanding officer, from our Lord and our Savior, what our marching orders are, such that we might be able to follow in obedience and get it right. That's the goal behind all of this. Today, we're going to begin um, at a very uh, good spot. We're going to begin at the beginning. Uh, before we spend time looking through the Gospels, we're going to actually go back to the very beginning of the story, and we're going to look to see if we can identify what is it exactly that God has purposed within the human creature, a design within the human creature to function after this mission. Uh, this, this, I would submit to you, is probably the most important message of this series, because as you probably well know, if you get the beginning wrong you're likely to get some of the sequential steps wrong as well. So we want to make sure that we really nail this down. So I want to just thank everybody ahead of time for your um, uh, great attention as we're going to be looking into the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be. A few, a few words just of um, 
introduction uh, before we read the text out of Genesis. Uh, the specific subject we're looking at today is the design that God has made. He has designed the human creature in such a way that we are made to reflect him. Did you know that? That's, that's what you were made for. I brought uh, a little prop with me today to help you see that, right? How many, how many folks used one of these this morning? Anybody? Uh, I know our graduate, Adrian. Come on, be honest now, right? Mirror, right? What, what's the purpose of a mirror? To give an accurate reflection, right? If, have you ever been to one of those uh, fun houses at a carnival? You guys know the kind I'm talking about with the woo mirrors, you know, the, the goofy ones. Uh, they have some apps on your phone that you can do that too that make your, your forehead look really small or your nose look really big, right? Um, we want to make sure that as God has designed us to reflect who he is, that we're not going about that in a way that looks like a funhouse. Um, there is a brokenness that has happened to man, he, mankind uh, that has marred what is called the image of God. And that's why it's so important that as we begin here to look at our marching orders, to examine what it is that God has commanded us to do, we have to first of all pay close attention to the design for the function of the human creature. Because if we get that wrong, we're going to get the other parts wrong as well. Now, I have, uh, we, we recently had a discussion with the elders on this same exact topic, and I, I couldn't even quite hold my tongue because most commonly, when people talk about the image of God, they begin talking about it with secondary issues. They define the image of God, as, as we read in the Bible, in a way that doesn't pay attention to the primary purpose for which we are created in God's image. They think of secondary issues. Um, I wrote some of them down here. Maybe you've heard this before as well. So humans are unique because they have personhood or because they have a capacity for creativity or they have the ability uh, for uh, self-reflection or because they have an inherent type of self-worth. I want to submit to you, those are true, but those are not the primary reasons for which God created you in his image. In fact, here's a really, really good rule of thumb so that you can make sure that you're hitting a primary definition and not a secondary definition. If you ask yourself the question, does this attribute have and define a characteristic of animals? Do animals have a, a personality? Come on, you guys have pets. Of course your animals have personalities, right? Uh, do animals have worth and value? Of course they do. Uh, do they have the ability to do creative things? Do they have a function within the creation? Of course they do. So w whatever we would ascribe to this definition, image of God, we have to make sure that we're not seeing it in confusion with the rest of creation because there is no other created entity that has been called made in God's image. Not the dogs, not the dolphins, not the trees or the stars. Only the human creature is said to be made in God's image. There's another error that's often made with this, uh, and it's an implication. So we have primary, that's what we're going to talk about this morning, the primary definition. I've already mentioned the secondary definitions. There's, there's therefore then implications that come, and some of the implications are what we would call communicable attributes of God. So some people want to say that what it means to be made in God's image is that we really carry a attribute that God carries. 
that God can share with us. So let me offer a few of those to you. Um, righteousness. Can humans embody righteousness? It's not a trick question. The answer is yes. We, we are flawed and marred at that, but yes, we've been given that capacity. How about holiness? How about faithfulness? Hopefully yours. Yes, all of these things human creatures are able to have the capacity for. But I got to pump the brakes again, and I got to say, that's still not what it means to be made in God's image. What we want to do today is look at a primary definition for what it means to, means to be made in God's image. I brought with me today one of my favorite textbooks on the, on the mission of God. It's titled The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. I want to read just a quick paragraph uh, that really, I think, helps set the stage for what we're talking about here. As we seek to uncover the definition of the image of God, Christopher writes this. Much spiritual or a theological ink has been spilt on trying to pin down exactly what it is about human beings that can be identified as the essence of the image of God in us. Is it our rationality, our moral consciousness, our capacity for relationship, or our sense of responsibility to God? Even our upright posture and the expressiveness of the human face have been canvassed as the locus of the image of God in humankind. Since the Bible nowhere defines the term, it's probably futile to attempt to do so very precisely, which, by the way, is what we're going to try to do today, but that's what we're going to try anyway. In any case, we should not so much think of the image of God as an independent thing that we somehow possess. God did not give to the human beings the image of God. Did you guys catch that? It's not something you possess. It wasn't given to you. Rather, it is a dimension of our very creation. The expression in our image that we'll read out of Genesis is adverbial. That is, it describes the way God made us. It's not adjectival. That is, as if to simply describe a quality we possess. The image of God is not so much something we possess as it is what we are. Did you catch that? The image of God is not so much something we possess as it is what we are. To be human is to be made in the image of God. It is not an extra feature added to our species. It's definitive of what it means to be human. Um, if you look in your uh, bulletin, you have some sermon notes that are designed to follow along with this message. Of course, I don't have a screen here to uh, uh, g give you the word, so you're gonna have to pay extra attention if you're keeping notes. But I wanna just uh, draw the definition that I've given us right at the very top. Under observations and conclusions, it says, to be made in God's image describes the function of mankind as created, to reveal God in creation. That's what it means. You have been designed to reveal God in creation. And I believe that there are four dynamics to that function. That's what we're going to look at. So um, with all of that said as introduction, uh, it, hopefully you're already turned with me here to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to have pages flying right out of my Bible. We're going to read starting in chapter 1, verse 26, I believe through the end of the chapter. Genesis 1, 26. Here we go. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the air, over over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, here, here is where we're going to find the very beginning of defining our marching orders in the design of God. Four different attributes that characterize the function of the human creature to reveal God. The first, the first is, I've called it a global representation. You will see this uh, in two places. You will see this as we define the word of verse 27 in his own image and in verse 28 when God tells the human creature to be fruitful and increase and fill, how much of the earth are we supposed to fill? All of the earth. And so the very first characteristic of what it means to be made in God's image is that you are a representation of God. That's the very first thing that it means. You represent God. And by the way, as, as we're tracking through these, these primary level characteristics, one of the things we're also going to look at is the implication therein. Um, I also have that written for you in your sermon notes, but I want to make sure that you understand we're going to look at the primary and then the implication that comes from it. Now, I want to say that this is exactly like the illustration of what I brought today. This is exactly it. You and I are made to reflect who God is. That's what it means to be a representation of God. Um, I think sometimes we have a, a, just an illustration of how we might do this. If you've ever worked in the corporate world where they've had a kind of a communal refrigerator, what, what do you do with your lunch when you put it in the fridge with everybody else's? You write your name on it, right? Otherwise, someone may come and eat your lunch. Uh, this is exactly what God has done to the human creature. He's written ownership, belongs to God, represents, represents God on the human creature. We're, we're in the corporate refrigerator of God's creation, and you have God's name written on your soul. Now, here is the problem that in, in Adam and Eve's rebellion, sin enters the world. This is what sin looks like for my illustration here. This is going to be a little painful. You guys ready? Because this is what sin 
does to the image of God. You guys ready? I heard that. I had to, had to give it a little more there. Look at it now. This is, this is what we are left with because of sin. Um, there, there is still a, a capacity for image revealing, but it's broken. Um, all of us, all of us who have gathered here today, we have all come with sin. In fact, every single human being that comes into this earth as a product of the two sinners, great-grandma and great-grandpa, Adam and Eve, um, comes like this. We come broken into this world. Here's the implication of it, and I have this in your sermon notes as well. The implication is that all humans are addressable to God. Because you are his representation, God is able to address you and I. Now think with me back in the story of Genesis. Does God come and talk to the alligators? Does God come and talk to the trees? Who does God come and speak to? He comes and speaks to the human creatures because we are made in his image to, be, to reflect his representation and to do so globally. And so the implication, true being then, is true today. God can speak to you. You are accessible to God. In fact, this is exactly what we find after sin. I want to make sure we understand this because this is not simply a product of the pre-fall world. You remember what happens, right? Adam and Eve sin. They realize they're naked, and what do they do? They sew fig leaves together, and they hide. But what does God do? He goes looking for them, and he still, even with sin, he still speaks directly to them. So number one, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means we are created for a global representation of who God is, and the implication of that is we are accessible by God. Number two, I call this godly rulership. In verse 26, you'll see it repeated as well in verse 28, uh, the function for creating them in God's image was that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, livestock, all the, all the earth, every creature that moves along the ground. And once more in verse 28, um, after he says, be fruitful and increase, he says, let them rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living creature. There's a, just for sake of time, I don't have time to get into all of the uh, Hebrew words that are used here. Two words are used though, uh, rule and subdue. The word subdue means to bring under one's control such that you can have it be made to your advantage. Is it true that humans need to take care of the earth? Is that true? Yeah, don't, don't, let, uh, don't let an environmentalist lead on that. It's those who are made in God's image need to understand that rulership means taking care, managing, as it were, the garden of God's creation. And you and I are created to do this in a fashion that would um, give God the glory, modeled after how he would do it. In the ancient Near East, uh, the, the concept of putting up an image to represent your rule was very, very common. Many kings and many emperors, if you can think way, way back uh, in your, uh, I don't know if you covered this in seventh grade, uh, ancient world history class, um, but of those uh, emperors that had kingdoms, 
they couldn't be in all places at all times. So what they would do in the very far-flung corners, they would erect an image of themselves, a statue, um, a, a type of relief that would dictate for all passers-by that this land belongs to them. This is what it means to be made in God's image. For in global representation, you are also designed to represent a godly kind of rulership. Are we all on board with this? You are designed for a godly form of rulership. Now, what's the implication of that? Well, what that means is that you and I are therefore accessible by God. Uh, Again, that word is written there in your sermon notes. I wish I had a big screen to put it up here because uh, I'm not saying accessible. I'm saying assess, like assessment. What what does it mean to assess something? Right? If if you if you had an assessor or an appraiser come in and take a look at your property, what what are they supposed to do? Tell you its value. That's right. Now. Here's, here's that implication. Because God has designed the human creature to represent his rulership, that means you have immense value. All humans, every human creature, no matter where you're born, no matter where you call yourself, call home, you have been designed and ex- assessed by God as having a quality of value, of dignity, and of honor far above any other creature. This is what it means for our second observation. And one of the things I want to make sure that, uh, that you're catching is that I'm drawing every one of these observations directly from Genesis, right? So when Genesis says, made in God's image, in the next breath it says, let them rule. But we're not made to rule in sin. We're not made to rule with a broken representation. We are made to rule after the very character of God. So our rulership is godly. This implication means that God is the one who has assessed our value to stand in his stead, to be his representatives and ambassadors, to rule in his place over the creation that he has made. Number three, you have been made in God's image with grand relationship. If you look with me in verse 29 and 30, you will see a sequence that's given here. First of all, in verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree with fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. Do you guys have, uh, anyone have grandkids, nieces or nephews, children? Any birthdays coming up recently? We, we just had a birthday party at our house. Do you know what one of the best things that we get to do is to give gifts? That, that's just one of the very best things that we get to do. Um, you and I have privilege to give gifts to those whom we love. And I want you to see right here in Genesis, being made in God's image makes you different from all of the other critters on the earth. God did not give primarily to them the plants and the fruit of the trees. Who he give it to? He gave it to you and I because you are made for relationship with God. And then this relationship has a sequence to it. I want to point your attention to verse 30. Because first he gives it to the humans, and then in verse 30, and to all the beasts of the earth, birds of the air, creatures that move on the ground, everything that has life that is in it, to them he also gives everything else. Here's the best way I know to 
to demonstrate with uh, illustration this re- this grand kind of relationship that we have with God by virtue of being made in his image. Um, do you guys ever remember when you were in grade school and the teacher had to leave the room? What does the teacher do when he or she leaves the room? The teacher picks his favorite student and puts them in charge, right? Uh, when I taught overseas, uh, we had a particular name for that student, and they belonged to a, a higher uh, caliber of students with greater expectations for us as an administration. We called them prefects. So every class had a class prefect, and as I would get called out of the classroom, I would put them in charge, and I'd say, you're in charge until I get back. Now, what do all the other students call them? <laughs> Teacher's pet narc, whatever it might be, right? I mean, yeah, that's how, that's the brokenness of the mirror talking again is what that is. This is what God has done for you and I. What does it mean to be in grand relationship with him? It means that God has chosen the human creature to be his image bearer and has given to you, first of all, the rulership say over what happens with creation. You're a representation of God. You are to have godly rulership. And it's because you are made in relationship with God, distinct from any other creature. All right, one last observation. Oh, by the way, let me give you the implication there. The implication, therefore, is that humans are accountable to God. Because you are in relationship with God, you are one to whom must give an answer. Adam and Eve discovered this, right? Because not only does God speak to them directly after sin, but God demands an answer for them. Or, sorry, an answer from them. All human beings are accountable to God. Now, had, I, had we been inside and had the screen, I would put uh, the verse up here that says, um, all of us must stand before the judgment seat of God in 2 Corinthians, that we would receive from God that which is done in the body, whether good or bad. So understand, your dog is not going to stand judgment before God. Your cat is not going to stand judgment before God. The human creatures are those who are accountable. In the same way that if I put my prefect in charge when I leave the room, if I come back and I find a dance party going on, I'm not going to yell at all the students, which one am I going to turn to? I'm going to turn to the one that I put in charge because that's the one I had a relationship with. So give me an amen if you're tracking with me so far. How are you guys doing? All right, here we go. Uh, Wipe the sweat off your brow. Here we go. My phone says 83 degrees. We're almost done. Number four, last one. What does it mean to be made in God's image? It means graceful reverence. I want to draw your attention to two places in this text. The first is in verse 28. Are you, are you looking with me there? What are those first two words that it says? God blessed them. Oh, what, a, what an amazing privilege you have. You who are made in God's image are blessed by God. Now, if you give somebody a gift, if you give somebody a present, if you yourself receive a present, what is the response? What do we say? We say, thank you. Thank you. Now, let me ask you the question. Did Adam or Eve do anything to deserve what God gave them? Not a thing. They didn't ask for it. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. God gave it freely. We have a word for that. Well, what's the word that we use to describe when you're given something you don't deserve? It's the name of our church. Let's say it good and loud. Grace. Grace. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. It's grace. We have been given 
opportunity by being made in God's image for graceful reverence. Uh, the, the last place where I want you to see reverence comes at the end in verse 31. The only place in the creation story where the word very good is used, God saw all that he had made and it was not simply good. What's the Bible say? Very good. The human creatures, unlike any other creature, because we are made in God's image, we have the ability to reflect honor and glory to God, to revere who God is. When was the last time you heard a white-tailed deer singing praises to God? When was the last time you saw a fish praying to God? No, you, no other creature does this. Not a single other one of God's creation offers reverence except the human creature because we have been given something that no other creature has. Now, here's the implication of that. The implication is that all, and this is a beautiful one, this is the one that ties into next Sunday's message and next Sunday's message. Um, all human beings are accessible by God. That's beautiful, you guys. All humans can be reached by God. If that fact doesn't motivate you to share the good news, nothing will. By the way, you need to know you can't save anybody. You know that? Everybody can shake your head. I, I, can't, I do not have the power to save anybody. Who has that power? Everybody say Jesus. Jesus has the power to save anybody and everybody. But here's why. Because the human creature has been made in God's image so that they are accessible by God. And what that means for us is the gospel can be given to everybody. Now, not everybody believes. And this is why I want to clarify one thing that often gets misunderstood about the image of God. I have heard people tell me, even as recently as last week, I believe all people are God's children. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe you even believe that. I believe all people are God's children. And that is not what it means to be made in God's image. What it means to be made in God's image is that you and I are to be reflectors of God's representation. But it doesn't mean that you are his child. I, as gentle as I can be, I want to encourage you, make sure that you determine your faith off of God's word and not off of what you want, because not all people are children of God, but all people are made in his image. I want to make sure that you hear directly from Jesus' words. In John chapter 8, Jesus, in speaking with the crowds who are being controlled here by the, by the influence of the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus says, you are doing the works of your father. They reply, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. So it sounds like they're saying, we're all, we're all children. <coughs> Excuse me. We're all children of God. What's that? I got swallowed a bug. <clears throat> Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say? You belong to your father and then who knows what the next word is the devil and you want to carry out your father's desires 
He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So according to Jesus, are all people children of God? No. I'll make sure that we don't misunderstand what it means to be made in God's image. Because to be made a child of God means... Well, I don't want to get too PG-13 with you here, but how do you make a child? You have to be born, do you not? This is not a trick question. I know some of you are like, where's the catch here? Where are you going with this? Not a trick question. You need to be born. When Jesus describes inheriting the kingdom of God to become an heir within the family of God, Jesus himself says, you, speaking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you are born again, you are a child of God. All people on earth are made in the image of God. But only those who are born of the Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, can be called children of God. And here's how I want to show you what God did for us. Um, God knew that this is, this is you and I. Everybody see? Broken. We, we have failed to represent God well. Here's what God did with Jesus. God sent Jesus as a man, as a human, just like you. Jesus put his pants on same way you put yours on. I, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews says that he is made with flesh and blood just like the children, just like us. He had to be made like you in every way, yet without what? Without the brokenness. Jesus comes into this world able to reflect God. And in dying on the cross, rising from the grave, and then offering his spirit to the church, this is what God does. He allows the righteousness of Jesus to be imputed onto us so that now you and I, though though still still containing some of the brokenness, I've got to be careful how I hold this up here, it's still there, is it not? It's still there. But now we have recovered the image of God so that you now have the ability to do your function. This is your design. This is what God has saved you for that you can now represent him and reflect him to the world because of what Jesus has done. So Jesus' life, Jesus' righteousness is now applied to you and I. And though the brokenness is still there, we now have the ability restored to us to do these wonderful things that God made in the very beginning for the human creature to do. There's one part of this story that I might say for the very last message that we give, and it has to do with getting rid of the broken part. I'm going to save that, though, so stay tuned for us to uncover that. Let me, let me finish up here with some application, and I believe there's a few more blanks that you have there in your sermon notes. I wrote this down. In sin, humans fail to represent and reveal and reflect God. Have you found that true in your life? Come on. Have there been times where you've acted more like you and less like Jesus? We also fail to reveal his rule. Be honest now. Have there been times where you have acted in the flesh? Where you have said a four-letter word? Where you have spoken to somebody in a way that you later regret? 
How about the abusing of the creation around us? Have, have there been times in your life where you have made decisions for the advantage, not of the whole, but for your own advantage? That you don't represent godly rulership, but rather self-rulership? We are also broken in our relationships. I don't need to preach on this one. Just give me an amen on that, right? Relationships are broken all over the place. And here's the last one that I think is probably the most offensive of, of all. Remember the final point? You have been given a, gra- a graciousness to reveal God. We fail to give God glory sometimes. Do you know that God will not share his glory? I, 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 let, can I confess for a minute? You guys give me a chance at church just to confess. Uh, and hopefully you, you'll see in my own life a, a pattern that you want to be able to emulate. Um, I have a I have a role in the church, but I am a broken creature. It is tempting for the person whose voice gets magnified to think highly of themselves. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous because at any moment I carry a pat on my back for something, do you know what I might do? I might be stealing from God's glory. What about you? Are there there moments in your life where you might steal from God? Are, are, Are you guilty like I am of putting people maybe on a pedestal or maybe wanting to climb the podium yourself? Yeah. Because we are, we are broken in how we give reverence and glory to God. So the answer to this is Jesus. And I have for you in your sermon notes. Um, let me get them out here real quick. If you, if you get yours out too, you can look with me on this. That Right before the application is a sentence that I've included that shows what redemption looks like. Because you are made in God's image, number one. And because you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, number two, by the way, atonement to to be redeemed, the atoning work of Jesus means to cover over. Do you notice how I did that with the mirrors this morning? I covered the broken one with, with the righteous one. That's what atonement means. It means to cover over. So covered by the blood of Jesus. And then thirdly, you are controlled, meaning filled, baptized, and then effectively empowered not by your spirit and agenda and will, but by the Holy Spirit's desires, now you are able to reveal and reflect God. And here are the implications for what being made in God's image means. Number one, it means that you can reflect and reveal God in the care as the character of God in creation. That first blank is the word character. You guys remember the bracelets like 10 years ago, WWJD? What's that mean? What would... What would Jesus do? Um, One of the things that we probably need to give evaluation over is how much our behavior looks like Jesus. Because you're indwelt with the Spirit, because you're covered by the blood of Jesus, and because you're made in God's image, you can now show the world, you can show all creation the character of God. All of those secondary characteristics that we were talking about. Holiness, faithfulness, righteousness, all of those secondary implications and characteristics are now available to you because you have been redeemed by Jesus. Number two, you are also able to reveal and reflect God's kingship is the second word, the kingship of God in all creation. By this, we would connect the observation of rulership. I ask uh, ask you the question, in your life, do you display submission to your 
commanding officer. Think about it. How often in life is God telling you, this is what I want you to do, but you're like, but it's not on the calendar, God. How often is God saying, this is what I'm asking for you to do, and you're saying, I don't have it in the budget. How often is God asking you to, to submit yourself, but we resist that? When we do, when we do submit to God, when we follow the commands of our commanding officer, you are displaying his kingship. This is what it means to call Jesus Lord. Lord is that person that you submit to. And so you now have that ability because of the spirits indwelling and because of the blood of Jesus. Number three, because of the spirit of God, because you're made in the image of God, because of the blood of Jesus, you can now reveal and reflect harmony of God the harmony of God with all creation. Um, There's another 45-minute sermon that I want to give just on this one because I've actually skipped over something that's super important. I'm going to give you the 60-second version. You all ready? I skipped over a passage that said, we are made in God's image. Male and female, he made them. To be made in God's image is not only to be made the gender that you are, the... the, um, uh, uh, the biology that you are, you are you are a man or a woman, but really the image of God is actually seen in the harmony between the man and the woman. Now, for people who are single, again, there's a whole 45-minute sermon on this. I, I, don't, I don't want you to think that you're somehow left out of the image of God, but what I do want you to catch is that to be made in God's image, the implication is we are created to live in harmony with his, with his creation. That harmony begins, first of all, with those that we are married to, those that we are covenanted to in marriage. That harmony needs to be extended to your neighbors. That harmony needs to be extended to the globe, the global community. That harmony needs to be extended even to the uh, inanimate components of God's creation. He has made you to reflect a harmonious kind of life. You, I, I, you guys are seeing how this deserves like 45 more minutes to develop, but I want, I want you to see it right here because it does res, uh, come within the observation of, of relationship. You are made for relationship, being in God's image, and that relationship is made for harmony. Now, if you came to church today fighting with your spouse, this is the chance for you to turn and say, honey, I'm sorry, I love you. <laughs> because To be made in God's image means to be made to live in harmony. Last one, here we go. Because you are made in God's image, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because you are controlled by the Spirit, you can now reveal and reflect the glory of God in creation. This has to do with reverence. And so this is why we gather, is it not? This is why we come together as a church. That our devotion to the apostles' teaching found in God's word, our devotion to communal harmony living with the people of God, our devotion to recognizing the spiritual presence of Jesus in our lives is all an act of worship. That's worth an amen. Can I say that again? Ready? It's all worth an act of worship. Amen. Amen. Because you have been made in God's image. It's not the trees that are ascribing glory to God, even though they do. It's not the stars that are ascribing glory to God, even though the heavens do. It's the human creature that has been made in his image.